Uh, as we continue our series on discipleship and as we study the Sermon on the Mount, uh, I was visiting some friends, Jeff and Becky Peters. A lot of you know the Peters. They live in Hilton Head now. A few months back, I was visiting with Jeff and Becky. was staying with them for a week. And one afternoon when it warmed up a little bit, which it's going to do in St. Louis someday, I, uh, I wandered over to the golf course. It was a Monday around lunchtime. And I just kind of walked in and found the, found the, the guys in the uh, pro shop said, you know, I'd like to play. I don't know how crowded you are. Could, I'm all by myself. Could you, could you get me in? And the guy said, oh, absolutely. He said, I, actually, in about 15 minutes, there's three guys uh, that play here on Mondays. And they play, you know, about every uh, fourth or fifth week. It's just a group of three guys. But Monday's their day off. And so they love to play on Mondays. I'll throw you in with them. Well, I got to thinking about that as I was kind of waiting to get it started. I hadn't met them yet. Who has Monday off, Right. Not bankers, not lawyers, not doctors, not people that I might be able to compete with on a golf course. Now, preachers have Mondays off. Some of them do. I happen to take Friday off. Maybe preachers, but no, I'm on Hilton Head Island, and probably not three preachers on Hilton Head. Oh, yeah, teaching pros of other golf clubs. They're off on Mondays. <laughs> I'm glad you're getting a kick out of this. And sure enough, these three guys walk up, and this is so-and-so, and he's the head teaching pro over here, and here's so-and-so, and he's... And I'm like, you know what, this is the most relaxed I've ever been on the first tee of a golf course because why bother? <laughs> I'm going to come in fourth place. <laughs> it's, it's a foregone conclusion. My goal, before we teed off and I told him, I said, my goal is at least on one hole not to be the last guy teeing off. So the, you go, you tee off in order of guys who had the best score on the previous hole, Right. So I'm like, just on one hole on the front nine and one hole on the back, my goal is to at least be in third place. Not a lofty goal, but that's it because what's the point? You know, these guys are going to absolutely annihilate you. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Hear the word of God. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets, Jesus said as he was teaching. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is a reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that you teach us through the Lord Jesus, through the law, and through the prophets. Father, we thank you that you have not abandoned us. You've not left us to our own schemes, to our own devices, to our own philosophies, but rather you have given us the truth in the person of Jesus Christ, and you have given the truth to us in, in his eternal and everlasting word. So, Father, we don't come here this morning to hear the words of man. We don't come here this morning to hear the latest philosophy, the latest opinions of people who are finite, people whose intellect will only take them so far, uh, who know maybe as much or maybe not even as much as we. Father, we come to hear your word and your truth. And we pray for that this morning. Father, I pray that you'd quiet our hearts. We come from busy weeks. We look forward to next week, and we were already thinking, maybe some of us this morning, as we were singing, we're thinking about our to-do list. 
Father, we want to worship you with our minds. We want to worship you with our intellect, with our reason. And so we pray for that this morning. We pray that you would uh, get me out of the way and let your word and your spirit speak into our hearts. Lord, please forgive me for my sins. Please don't let me be the obstacle of someone knowing and hearing the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I was studying this passage for the last, uh, for the last week or so, and I, I was doing all right in verses uh, 17 and 18, 19, and then I came to verse 20, and it, was, it really was a showstopper for me. And let me just read it for you again. Jesus is speaking. He says, For I tell you, in some of your, your verses, if you have the old translation, it might say, Verily, verily, I say to you, or truly, I say to you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And I just basically said to myself, what's the point? I had the same feeling I had standing on the tee at that golf course, although it wasn't quite as humorous because these are matters uh, of eternal life and death. And yet I looked at this and I thought, well, the scribes and the Pharisees, those were the guys in the New Testament in, in Jesus' day and age, those were the pros. Those were the guys when it came to, to keeping the rules, the, the, to knowing the law, to understanding the law, and committing themselves to living out following the law, were, they, they were the best at it. They were the pros. They, their lives were consumed with the law and the prophets. In fact, they had gone so far to identify within the, within the, the pages of the Old Testament 248 commandments in the law. In other words, the things that you should do. There were 248 things that they identified very specifically that you should do. On top of that, they went back and they studied all the things that you ought not do. They looked at all the prohibitions, and they came up with 365 of those. So that's an easy number to remember. One thing not to do every day of the year. <laughs> and you put all that together, and you, you, know, you have 600-something do's and don'ts that these guys literally had memorized. You know, we, 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 you can sit down, I won't put you on the spot. I was actually thinking about doing this. Take out a pencil and write down the Ten Commandments. And there's probably a decent number of us that could do that. And probably if we got four or five of us together, we could come up with them. We did it in our Bible study on Wednesday morning. We forgot two of them. And I do this for a living, okay, you know? <laughs> Should give you great confidence to vote yes for my salary in a little while. <laughs> these guys knew all of them. And Jesus says, if your righteousness doesn't surpass these guys, you're never going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so why bother? What's the point? If I'm measured up against these guys, it was like standing on the tee of that golf course, I know who's coming in fourth place. However, in order to really look at this carefully, to, to, to really answer the question, you know, should I try or not, we need to look at the lives of the scribes and the Pharisees with a little bit closer examination. Have they really significantly achieved a righteousness where God is looking at them and saying, you know what, you guys have made it. You have, you have done all the things you should do the right way. We're actually going to welcome you into the kingdom of God by the action and the, and the attitudes of your life. What we're going to see on closer examination, I'm going to read a couple of verses for you out of Matthew 23 in just a minute, is that their goal was actually to appear righteous in front of other people. In other words, they were very concerned about their public persona of piety. When you were watching, when you were looking, when, when you were paying attention to them, they wanted to make sure that they came across as filled with righteousness. 
as following all the do's and all the don'ts. But as we're going to see in just a second as we look at these verses, it all was smoke and mirrors. It, it all was an act. So we're on the theme of golf this morning, probably because I'm just trying to will spring into here in some warmer temperatures. But there's a mo- golf movie out called Tin Cup, which I wouldn't recommend. But there's a scene in the movie Tin Cup where the main character, Roy McAvoy, who is, who is a phenomenal natural golfer, but he just has, has, has the rest of his life's a mess. And so he's a teaching pro at a driving range in, in, the, back, in the back country of Texas. He's, his life has come to that. But he's met this woman, and he's trying to convince her that her current boyfriend, who's a PGA professional, is not a guy she wants to hang around, that he really should come and start, start dating him and start hanging out with him. And he says to her at one point, you know, your boyfriend hates kids and dogs and old people. And you just, you know, he never shows that. Nobody ever sees that. But you ought to know that about him. And, and that's not like me, so you should come date me. Well, later on in the movie, this guy he's talking about is off the camera, and he's behind the scenes. He's just done an interview, and he's walking down the sidewalk, and this elderly couple, so we got the old folks come along, with their little grandson who's holding a puppy dog, (laughs) right? And they say, hey, would you mind stopping and giving giving our little grandson an autograph? And he's like, how could you bother me? Do I come to your office and bother you? And he yells at him, and 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 he gets all mad, and he walks away. So behind the scenes, he really did hate old people, kids, and puppy dogs, right? Well, Jesus says the Pharisees, actually, if you take a little bit better look, a little deeper look, here's what you'll find. Matthew 23, verses 1 through 5, and then verse 25 following. Jesus said to the crowds and to the disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, the the seat of the learned, the seat of the teacher, right? So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. And then he says directly to them, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others. But within you are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. You see, upon closer examination, the answer to the question is to, to not be like the Pharisees, to not strive for their righteousness, but a righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees. In other words, something that isn't just an outward practice, something that really is an inner delight, an intellectual and emotional and a spiritual delight in in my heart and in my mind about God's law that leads to a lifestyle that is genuinely following God, that is generally looking at the law of God and loving the law of God and wanting to shape my life around God's instruction for me. Is that really possible? If the scribes and the Pharisees who dedicated their lives to it became such hypocrites, is it, is it reasonable for me to think that maybe within my life as a disciple of Jesus, I could be a person who learns to love God's word in the right context? Well, that took me, actually working backwards, that took me to verse 19 of chapter 5. Therefore, Jesus says, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But... Whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You see, love for God's law, according to this verse, 
is not just possible, but it's actually likely for disciples of Jesus. Jesus doesn't make promises that, that he offers to us disingenuously, knowing that we'll never be able to, to, to get there. He doesn't put the bar so high and then just you know, try to push us along and, and make us feel guilty. When Jesus makes a promise, it's true. And Jesus says, there will be many of my disciples who are called great in the kingdom of heaven because of their love for God's law. They're delighting God's word, and they're sharing it with others. They will be the ones who are considered great in the kingdom of heaven. So my, my question, I'm not standing on the tee box anymore at the pros. Now my question is, if that's the case, then it isn't should I bother. It's really the question of how do I avoid relaxing my love for in my practice of God's word? How do I embrace the beauty and live in the truth of the law of the, pro the law and the prophets? And again, working backwards, that's what led me to the great hope that I found in this passage, which is in verses 17 and 18, which I'm going to say focuses everything. It's where we focus. I've been looking at my ability up to this point. I read verse 20, and I kind of threw my hands up and said, you know, there's, there's no way. And then I read, read verses 18 and 19 and said, okay, well, it's, it's possible, but how do I go about this? What, what's the action that is, that is needed on my part to see this kind of, of embracing of God's word and to, to avoid relaxing the truths uh, that are there? And that makes us focus on verse 17 and 18. Jesus says, do not think I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, unless heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Let me remind you or maybe introduce you if you haven't been with us for a while. We've been in Matthew 5. We started with the Beatitudes. We were in the Beatitudes for several weeks. The Beatitudes, all of them except for the very last part of the last Beatitude are in the third person. So Jesus says, blessed is, is that person over there that, that mourns, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those people out there that are peacemakers, for they'll be called sons of God. Blessed are those uh, who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And when he's talking about these blessings, he's talking about those folks. Blessed are the people who decide that they want to be merciful, for they will receive mercy. It's all in the third person until you get to the question of persecution and then the verses that follow persecution, which is Tom Werner preached on a couple of weeks ago, on being salt and light, and then Jesus takes it to the second person. Then he begins to say, now, when you are persecuted, don't panic, because there are prophets that were persecuted before you. Your father's going to take care of you. You'll, you'll be, your reward will be great in heaven. And then when he talks about salt and light, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So he brings it to the second person. Now we turn a corner in these verses... And it's all in the first person. Jesus now begins to talk about himself, and we cannot miss that. We must see this for what it is. Jesus says, I, look at, look at his words. Don't think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. Can we go to the next screen if you don't mind? Thank you. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Truly, I say to you, what we need to see here is Jesus is the personification of God's righteousness. Jesus is the one who is going to fulfill, not abolish the law. Jesus is the one who is going to accomplish every last 
even what might seem to you and me to be insignificant detail. Jesus is going to do all of that to perfection. I was talking to a friend of mine this week, and I said, you know, if we just took the Ten Commandments, and if we looked at the Ten Commandments, what's the one in there that, that maybe could cause, you know, the least amount of pain to other people? You know, if you're going to mess up, what would be the one maybe where you can mess up and not hurt somebody? Certainly it wouldn't be adultery. Certainly it wouldn't be, you know, bearing false witness. Certainly it wouldn't be murdering or stealing. And so we're thinking about that, and he finally says, you know, God, I, I just don't know which one it would be. I thought, well, maybe it would be taking the Lord's name in vain. Maybe that's what it would, what it would be. And uh, we kind of got a little chuckle out of that at, at the moment. But Jesus fulfills everything to the nth degree. So I mentioned earlier that there were 248 do's. And how many don'ts? 365. That's an easy number to remember. 365 things you're not supposed to do. But if you go to, to this technical detail of iotas and dots, the smallest punctuation mark in the Hebrew language, and the reason I wear glasses today is because the smallest punctuation part is called, point is called a yod. And it's like uh, an apostrophe, but it's like five times as small as an apostrophe. If you're reading a Hebrew Bible, you have to look really hard to see the yods in the text. In the Old Testament, there are over 66,000 yods in the text, okay? Which, when you're learning Hebrew, is a whole lot of fun. And Jesus says, not even that little apostrophe. It's not, in the Hebrew, it's not really apostrophe. It's, it's really a mark for a vowel. Not even that, the slightest stroke of the pen. Am I going to neglect in my life because of my love and my passion? for my Father's will and for his glory. And so our focus is not on our effort. Our focus is not on our energy. Our focus is not on our ability to keep the law. The question is, did Jesus do this? Did he keep this for us? Did he come and fulfill the law? Did he come and fulfill the prophets? And this is where I say to my, my, my Bible studies every once in a while, if we're in Bible study and we're asking a question, you got a 50-50 chance the answer is going to be Jesus pretty much every time. And in this case, it's 100% this morning. How did Jesus fulfill the law? Well, think about the predictive nature of the law. That, that the Savior, the Messiah, would be a man. We find that all the way back in Genesis 3. That he would come from the line of Noah. That even more narrowly, he would then eventually come from the line of Abraham. That eventually he would come from the house of David. That eventually we would see him in the context of Jesus being born in the manger. Then you go back and you look at all of the other predictions in the Old Testament, and there are hundreds of them, and Jesus fulfills every prediction that is given in the Old Testament about the coming Messiah. What about the requirement of the law for perfect obedience? Well, I'm not going to put this passage on the screen this morning, but just for a minute, let me read you out of Isaiah chapter 53, verses 8 through 11. By oppression and judgment, talking about the Messiah, predicting about the Messiah, he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, to put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted as righteous. 
he shall bear their iniquities. When, when the Lamb of God is being described in Isaiah chapter 53, and we're going to come back to that in a minute, in the context of the requirement of perfect obedience, that's exactly how Isaiah predicts his life will be. And Jesus kept the law of God perfectly. If he didn't, the cross would have no meaning for you and for me this morning. But Jesus was perfectly obedient to his Father, which meant that the law's demand for justice for lawbreakers, that that penalty could be paid in full by him substituting his righteousness for our unrighteousness. I'm going to read you a couple more verses out of Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Put your own name in there. (laughs) Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his stripes, we're healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is the, the beauty of the gospel, brothers and sisters. This is the focus of our lives is what Christ did in keeping and fulfilling and completing God's law. Every prediction finds its fulfillment in Jesus. Complete, perfect obedience to God the Father finds its manifestation in Jesus. And therefore, the demand of the law that a penalty be paid for the sins that have been committed is paid in full by Jesus. That's why I said focus is everything. Because you see, grace and law are two sides of the same coin. We cannot separate them. We can't pull them apart. Because God's law, what does God's law do? It reflects God's perfect character. I mean, if you look at just the Ten Commandments, how, where's there a bad commandment in there? Every once in a while you hear somebody say, well, God gave us all these rules because he wants to rain on our picnic. Really, raining on our picnic means we don't murder each other? <laughs> Raining on our picnic means we don't commit adultery with one another. Raining on our picnic means that we get to rest one day a week and, and, and take our ease from our work. How, how is that bad? How, how is that not gracious and kind and loving? So the law reflects God's perfect character and how he uses that to care for his people. So I have these granddaughters now, and the, and the second of the three granddaughters is Avery, and she just turned two yesterday, which Cindy reminded me of at about 7 o'clock last night. So... I got to call Avery today, but at two o'clock, I'm, or two years old, I'm betting she might forget this one. Um, but Avery is, uh, is a bit of a bully with her older sister, which seems odd because the older one usually is stronger. And this Lael certainly is. Lael's six, and she could handle herself, but Lael's so gentle, and she's so kind, and she's so compassionate. I'm wondering if she really is related to me, but she, you know, Avery will come and snatch a toy from her, and Lael will just kind of sit there and passively let her do that. And if mom and dad aren't there to correct Avery, we're going to have a problem. But there's a law in that house that says second sister can't pick on older sister. How is that a bad law? How, how is that hurtful in any way? And, and that's just a small, silly example of the point that God's law is given because God loves us and he's compassionate to us and he wants us to know how to love him in response and how to care for one another. But God also comes to us in grace through the Lord Jesus because we can't keep the law perfectly. There's no way we're going to to not do the the 365 and do the 248 
completely any more than the Pharisees did in their day and age. And so grace comes through Jesus, the perfect law keeper, who then gives his perfection in exchange for my imperfection, in exchange for your imperfection, in exchange for our rebelliousness, and the righteousness that, that by far exceeds, exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees is not ours, it's the Lord Jesus's, but he shares it with us. He gives it to us. It's his free grace. It's his free mercy. And then what he does is he begins to change our hearts so that we can love him and we can see his law, his word, as we should. We have the opportunity, brothers and sisters, as disciples of Jesus, by the power of God's word and by the power of God's Holy Spirit, not to depend upon keeping the law for our salvation. That's not its intended purpose. Its intended purpose is to show us that we need a Savior. Paul says in Galatians, the purpose of the law is literally to drive us, to compel us to the cross for grace. But then when we see Christ as he is, when we see his beauty and his glory, then we can see the law of God. We can see the prophets in the right context. And we say, we want our lives to be shaped in that way. I want the thoughts and the words and the deeds of my life to glorify my Father. And I want to love his law as an object of his grace. So let's go back to the T in Hilton Head. What if one of my favorite new golfers on the PGA Tour showed up that day? Bubba Watson. Bubba's one of my favorites because how do you have a name like Bubba and be a pro golfer? I just think it's just, and the guy can hit the ball a mile, and, he, and he's just, and, and actually he's a Christian, uh, but I just, he, he's just, I just love him. I've never met him, but he, he just seems to be a phenomenal guy. What if while I was standing on the tee, these three guys are looking at me, and you know what they're thinking, God, I hope he just can keep up. <laughs> I hope he doesn't ruin our day. That's what they're thinking, right? And that was probably what they should be thinking. What if Bubba showed up and tapped me on the shoulder and said, don't worry, Tom, I got this one. My score will be your score today. I'd have been like, hey, boys, how much you want to bet per hole? <laughs> $10, $20, $50, what do you? what do you want to do? I'm, I'm in, right? By the way, have you met my friend Bubba? He's playing for me today. Right? But that's what Jesus did. He said, Tom, I got this. I got this. Because that's where you're headed. But I got it for you. And then what if afterwards Bubba said, you know what, Tom? Not only do I, do I, am, I, am I glad that I came here today and, and, and just you know, cleaned up the course with those guys, but I'd like for you to hang around with me for a while, and I'd like you to fall in love with golf because you actually get a little bit better at it. You won't ever be like me, but you know what? I can have an influence on you that makes you love this game in a whole different way. That's what Jesus is inviting us to this morning, brothers and sisters. It's not a set of rules, not, not a set of obligations that we'll never teach, but rather he's saying, if you receive my love, receive the passion of my heart, which is my Father's word, and come on a journey with me, and let's see where that truth leads us. Will you pray with me? Father, I, I thank you for the challenge in these verses this morning. I thank you that, that if we look at them honestly, and on the surface, they ought to be a bit discouraging to us because those scribes and Pharisees sure did a great job on the, on the outside looking good. Lord, if we look into your law intently, even just the Ten Commandments, there's no way we'll keep them. But that's not your intended purpose. Your intended purpose is that they would point us to how much we need a Savior. They'd bring us to Matthew 5 and let us see that Jesus is the fulfillment of this law.
on our behalf. But then, Lord, that new life that he gives us does create a passion to know you better and to love the, the law of the Lord, that it would be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, that it would, that it would be a, a transforming agent in our lives that would bring glory to you and would actually be good for our community, for us to love you more and to love your, your word more because it will have a greater impact on our relationships with one another. So, Lord, please do that in our lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.